Hey, Justin here. Real quick before we jump in, I have something to celebrate with you. Holy Ghost Stories just hit 100,000 downloads. 100,000 times over the past 16 months, someone somewhere in the world has listened to an episode of this show. I just think that is absolutely amazing. And we're crossing that threshold like right now. In fact, if you are listening to this episode close to its release on May 9th, 2022, you may very well be the 100,000th download. Let's just pretend that you are. Congratulations. <laughs> I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for the way that you have received my efforts to tell the stories of the Old Testament, the way you've told your friends about Holy Ghost stories, the reviews you've posted, the way you've shared the show with your church or your small group or your cousin who's struggling to connect with God right now. I cannot believe we got this far, and I cannot wait to see what God has in store. Speaking of which, I have some news for you after the episode that you are absolutely going to want to hear, so make sure you stick around afterward for that. Okay, on with the show. What must he be thinking when he looks at us? our neglect, our omissions, our transgressions, our selfishness. In the moments we're most aware of our sin, when guilt rises up before us awful and irrefutable, what must God feel? This is a story about misguided plans and unfounded tears, about repentance and revival and the power of the inspired word. But more than that, this is a story about a God who feels great joy in unexpected moments. Enchanted joy, imbued with power he does not intend to keep for himself. I'm Justin Gerhardt. Welcome to Holy Ghost Stories. Saw teeth pull and push, ripping, cleaving, littering the soil with debris. Hammers strike iron, sparks erupt, clanging waves disarrange the air. Nails ring like tolling knell. And from this violence, creation. Chaos ordered as scattered timber becomes sturdy platform. Calluses pulsing, hands finally rest, wipe sweat, clap shoulders, shield sun, as the builders gaze upon something new. This will do nicely. Now, to invite Ezra. Surely he will come. Surely he will bring it with him. And then, finally, they will discover what it's going to take, what they must do to win Yahweh back. Just eight weeks ago, their hands were not calloused, but 52 days of wall building will transform anyone. 
And it did. Not just for these few, but the dozens, hundreds of others who joined Nehemiah in that audacious project. Somehow, despite the inexperience of the volunteers, despite the immensity of the task, despite repeated threats from the surrounding nations, the newly completed walls of Jerusalem stand tall, encircling the city and making it a city again, the way it was before Babylon destroyed it more than a century ago. It's a beautiful sight, this stone structure shining in the sun. White limestone wrapped around the city and its newly rebuilt temple like a guardian mountain range. No wonder the enemies of Israel tried to stop it. For so long, Israel was a non-threat, a non-nation, a scattered diaspora. Dandelion seeds parachuted across the continent, absorbed in so many cases. Jews become Assyrians, Hebrews become Chaldeans, the children of Abraham become the subjects of Artaxerxes. But thanks to a series of royal edicts allowing Jews to return home and a few key leaders like Ezra the priest willing to take them there, the scattered have been gathered. After this decades-long winter, Jerusalem is budding. This burgeoning growth, though, is fragile. Sanballat and Tobiah lie in wait, looking for any opportunity to pounce. And who knows what evils lie beyond their clans, further east and north and south. Guards have been posted, but they're not enough. Not even these walls are enough. Assyria and Babylon taught them that. They need him. And not just for protection, for, well to be them. They are Israel, not the wall builders, the God wrestlers. They are the people of Yahweh, not the people of the barrier. This isn't just about security. It's about identity. It's time to build on the momentum of the past several weeks and convince Yahweh to rejoin them. And they cannot know how to do that without the book. The sun rises on the eastern horizon, casting warm light on the uppermost edges of the Kidron Valley. Down amidst the shadows, the invaluable Gihon Spring issues fresh, clear water, the way it has since long before anyone settled here. Steps rise from the spring along the steep wall of the ravine, switching back and forth until they reach Jerusalem's newly christened eastern wall perched atop the lip of the valley. A gate in this section of wall provides access to the spring, the water gate, they call it. And just inside, people are already beginning to arrive. Women, men, even older children gather within the water gate plaza, setting the air alight with expectant energy. They've agreed. They've promised to come. Yahweh's sun ascends beyond the top of the wall now, sending light into the plaza and illuminating a purpose-built platform stretching north and south along the inside of the wall, 40 feet or more wide, 10, maybe 15 feet tall, fresh timber joined by iron nails. The Phoenix city is still in its infancy, fledgling and ashen, 
most of the homes inside are yet to be rebuilt, but it is rising. The morning light looks good on those walls. Now to discover how to ensure they remain standing. Yahweh's presence will be essential, and today the gathered will learn how to curry his favor. Gods are fickle. Time in Persia, in Babylon, in Assyria, in Canaan, in Egypt has made that abundantly clear. Adad, Enki, Marduk, Nabu, Enlil, Utu, and Tiamat, Ashur, and Ishtar, Asherah, Astarte, and Baal, Osiris, Isis, and Ra, deities renowned for their mercurial posture toward humanity. No room for non-compliance, no grace for the prodigal. How much more must it be so with Yahweh, famously jealous as he is? Israel needs to know the way back into the sunlight of his affection. Soon enough, all will be revealed during the reading. With hundreds now packed into the plaza, sitting cross-legged on mats or palm branches or folded blankets, the crowd scoots aside as Ezra the priest, Nehemiah the governor, and a cadre of influential Levites make their way through the Sea of Israelites to the platform. They climb the stairs, and Nehemiah takes a seat behind the Levites, who fan out on either side of Ezra. To his right, Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseah. To his left, Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. The men and women look on, anticipation rising. He has it. It's in his hands. The Levites turn toward Ezra. Ezra opens the book. Without a command, without a premeditated plan, without a word, the men and women rise. 70-year-old grandmothers, teenage boys self-conscious about their acne but oblivious to it now in this electric moment, new mothers, couples celebrating 12 years of marriage, a young woman newly betrothed, a widower, bakers, stonemasons, rope makers, farmers, fishermen from the coast, miners from the north, shepherds from the south, a woman from the east who'd only heard of Jerusalem and her father's stories until she arrived here two weeks ago and settled outside the city her ancestors' city, the place David built his palace, the place Solomon built the temple, the city on a hill, Zion. All of them, these people, hungry to be a people again. It feels good gathered here, together as one. The shuffling stops now, all of them on their feet as if a king has ridden into the plaza, ready for the word of Yahweh. But first, Ezra lifts his voice in praise to Yahweh, the great God. It is weighty, this praise. Every word of adoration filled with heart, every syllable heavy with experience. Ezra remembers all those years, those generations in exile, the presence he experienced even in Babylon, and worships Yahweh Shema the Lord who is there. He lifts his open hands to Yahweh Ra'ah, the Lord who shepherded him and so many others across the great expanse from the Ishtar Gate to Mount Zion. And as Ezra looks up past the flags flying on the ramparts, he worships Yahweh Nisi, 
the Lord their banner. Amen, amen, the people respond. And in a mirror image of their latest reflex, they drop to the ground in unison, foreheads touching stone as they bow and pray and sing. They stand once more as Ezra unfurls the scroll. The Levites come down into the crowd to translate for anyone whose Hebrew is rusty after all those years in Babylon. They stand ready also to explain any passages that may be difficult to understand. Once they're dispersed, they look to the priest. Ezra takes a breath and begins to read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. He saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The standing people smile as they listen, transfixed. Minutes elapsent feel like seconds. Yahweh had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Leah conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise Yahweh. So she named him Judah. They're still standing, all of them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in this old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Judah got a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But while Joseph was there in prison, Yahweh was with him. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. 
Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night Yahweh drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Then Moses went up to God. And Yahweh called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you back to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the crowd, eyes sparkle at these words of favor and promise. This is who they are, a blessed people, Yahweh's treasured possession. Who do they have to fear? And then, as Ezra continues reading, the faces of the Israelites begin to change. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. At this point, tears have gathered in the corners of the people's eyes. They have done things they should not have done. They have failed to do things they were commanded to do. Yahweh was with them during the long exile, but were they with him? One tear falls, then another. But Ezra continues, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. A God so powerful his voice can destroy? This is who we've wronged? And then more laws, more commandments, more terms of the covenant, more failure, noncompliance, waywardness. And more tears, so many tears. A wrinkled great-grandmother cannot stop crying 
drops of salty water falling across the furrows in her skin. A father holding his 12-year-old son close, weeping as he imagines the punishment that's coming. I did this to him. A 16-year-old girl trying desperately to push from her mind the images of her latest interlude with the boy she's been seeing in secret. A woman who lied just last week about her neighbor. Revenge for some petty offense. The shadow of dread lengthens inside each heart as the people of Israel remember their sins. Some spectacular, many seemingly pedestrian, all very real in this moment, none hidden from him. There are so many. How could they be this guilty, this corrupt? If anyone hopes they're the exception, if they glance around in hopes of seeing dry eyes on other faces, a righteous majority who will tip the scales for them, their hopes are dashed. There is no one righteous. Not even one. It's too much. We are too guilty. There is nothing but debt on our ledger. He won't have us. How could he have us? We have more than fractured the covenant. We've split it in two. It's irreparable. We are beyond hope. Who are we fooling with these walls? Who can they keep out? Really, certainly not Yahweh. We are not his people. We are his enemies. Enemies of God. The platform. Ezra. The walls. The crowd. It's all blurry now. A wash in a storm of stinging tears. But then, Ezra stops reading. He rolls up the scroll. He looks out at the people and says something bizarre. Does God have favorite days? Days when something happens that ignites his joy. Days he'll remember forever, differently, at least, than the way he remembers everything else. Does Yahweh have days that sustain him, that buoy his spirit in the midst of hard times? Days spent with people he loves, doing things he loves, filled with joy. Are some days special to Yahweh, different and beautiful? sacred. This day is holy to Yahweh your God, says Ezra, and it looks like he's smiling. Do not mourn or weep. What? But the Levites turn to the people and repeat it. Do not mourn, don't cry. This day is holy to Yahweh. Why would this day... We're guilty. We haven't even made penance. There have been no sacrifices. Confused faces look up at Ezra, who says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Oh, and when you do, send some... To those who have nothing prepared. He looks from face to face, 
bloodshot eye to bloodshot eye. This day is holy to our Lord. And then Ezra says something that will prove to be irresistibly compelling, words that will stick fast in the hearts and minds of Yahweh worshipers for millennia. He looks with kind eyes at the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Rebekah and Rachel and Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah. All of them stooped now, burdened by their sin, weakened by their guilt and sorrow and shame, exhausted by the dread and fear that's descended upon them these last few hours. Ezra smiles and says, Do not grieve, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. Yahweh is joyful? Here? Now? But they... How could he... Why would he... Surely, after all they've done, after all they've not done, surely he doesn't still see them as his. This is not what the gods are like. This mercy, this grace, it's impossible. Now, new tears tears of incredulous joy, of overwhelming gratitude. The man with the twelve-year-old son breaks down, his shoulders shaking with emotion. A Levite comes toward him, puts his hand on the man's shoulder, and says, Be still. This is a holy day. Do not grieve. They share a smile. The man pulls his son close, whispers to him, perhaps, that he is never to forget this day. Never to forget this moment. Never to forget this God. Ezra waves his hands at the crowd as if to say, Go! I wasn't kidding! And so they do. They gather in their homes, cook lavish meals, forage honey, and mix it into their wine, bring some to their neighbors, feast with great happiness together. Celebrate Yahweh's love. Draw strength from their God's unquenchable joy. The next day, the heads of the families go back into the city center, back to the water gate near the ever-flowing Gihon Spring, back to Ezra, the priest, the teacher. They give attention to the words of the law, more words, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. This time, instead of tears, they listen to the book with resolve. And then they hear Ezra read these words. Yahweh said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees. Live in temporary shelters for seven days, and rejoice before Yahweh your God. Do this so your ancestors will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. The heads of the families look at one another, 
eyes wide with excitement. That's this month. We have to do this. We can get the word out, make plans. This will be our new beginning. Very well. Thirteen days from now, we will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. When the sun sets on the 15th day of Tishrei, the autumn air cools and fires begin to dot the landscape in and around Jerusalem. On rooftops and courtyards and the plaza where they wept not two weeks ago, fathers and mothers, children and grandchildren, grandparents and great-grandparents huddle in clusters beneath the leafy branches of olive, willow, myrtle, and palm. The firelight flickers orange on the laughing faces of mothers passing out food and fathers telling their children about their ancestors in the wilderness. They lived in shelters in Sukkot like this? Something like this, yes. Did they really complain when Yahweh fed them? They did. But what did the manna look like? We don't know. They weren't sure either. That's probably why they called it manna. What do you think it was like to be in a strange place and to find Yahweh even there? Those who've come from Babylon won't have to use their imaginations to answer that question. Do you think he was angry with them when they didn't obey him? Oh, without a doubt. Why did he give them this land then? Because because of his love. More smiling, more stories, more tales of Yahweh's faithfulness, and no tears, no tears at all. It's a curious event, this feast, especially timed as it is with the recent settling in they've all been doing. Now that you have these houses, Yahweh seems to be saying, I want you to leave them for a while. And leave their long-awaited, much-anticipated, sturdy walled houses for what exactly? For palm frond huts, willow tree lean-tos, olive branch shelters. Why would Yahweh want that? Perhaps he wants to say something to them as they drift off to sleep, staring up at the fluttering leaves of their tiny, temporary homes. When you were refugees, I took care of you. When you had much less than you have now, I was with you. Your security comes not from city walls, but from my presence and loving kindness. Dwelling in a tent with me is safer, better, more joyful than living in a fortress without me. Your house, your city, this is not who you are. You are mine. There is no winning me back, only coming back to me. And as the campfires on the hills around and within Jerusalem flicker out, as smoke drifts peacefully from the embers and 
The snores of fathers and 70-year-old grandmothers sputter in the darkness as the stories of their people's adventure in the wilderness hang in the cool autumn air, as the life-giving Gaihon Spring bubbles faithfully in the valley below, Yahweh smiles, joyful. This was a good day, too. Maybe another favorite. Hey, Justin here. Thanks so much for listening. I hope the story of the joy and the standing blessed you. This has long been a moment in scripture that has intrigued me, and I was thrilled to get to tell it in this episode. Okay, I said I have some news, and I do. First, a heads up. This is the last episode you will hear for a little while. I'm taking a break from releasing episodes for a couple of months. Season three will continue in July, but the reason for this hiatus is really exciting. During this break in the release schedule, I will be working on episodes for season four. Why working on season four so early? Well, I'm glad you asked. That, in fact, is the news I mentioned earlier. Season four of Holy Ghost Stories, the whole season, is going to tell the story of Moses and the Exodus. Instead of jumping between different stories, different books, different eras like we have so far with Holy Ghost Stories, we are going to stay in that epic story, moving through it in sequence, episode by episode, for an entire season. So, the burning bush, the plagues, the Red Sea crossing, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, the drama in the wilderness, it's all going to be so fun and so powerful, and I cannot wait. You may know that my family and I have been living in South Africa for the past few months. Well, since we're already on this side of the world, before we head back to the States a bit this summer, we're going to spend two weeks in Egypt where I can do on-the-ground research for season four. I will get to climb Mount Sinai and wade into the Red Sea. I'll even get to spend a few nights with Bedouins out in the wilderness. I'm thrilled to see how God uses this time to give color and texture to my telling of Moses' story. Plus, Kendall Ramsour, the incredible cellist and composer who wrote and performed an original score last season for The Lion, the Witch, and the War Zone, the story of Saul and the Witch of Endor, has agreed to partner up again and score the Exodus season as much of it as I want to hire him for. I cannot tell you how much you are going to love hearing the story this way. And this is why I need to get to work on season four ASAP because Kendall and I will need to begin collaborating on those episodes very soon so that the premiere is ready for you on October 31st. Now, I'm seeking larger scale donors to help me cover the costs of Kendall's work. Hiring him is no small thing because scoring multiple episodes is no small amount of work. But this story deserves that kind of artistry. So let's do this together. My wife and I are putting money into this fund from our savings, and I'm foregoing a portion of my patronage to devote funds to this, but that's only going to go so far. So if you want to give a tax-deductible gift to help cover the cost of creating fantastic music for season, 
season four, or maybe your church would be willing to help with that cost, then go to holyghoststories.org, send me a note, and I'll let you know how to do that. Whatever we can put together, I will hire Kendall to score that much of the season. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could have all 10 episodes wrapped in gorgeous, evocative musical pieces that provide an entirely new layer to this fantastic story? Send me a note if you or your church wants to pitch in. HolyGhostStories.org And finally, to the Tours over on Patreon, I say thank you. Luke and Haley, Derek, Debbie, Aaron, Stephanie, Vincenta, Cheyenne, Boo, Helen, Elizabeth, Susan, Rick, Mindy, Maddie, April, Eric and Jody, John, Ricky, Brandy, Kimmy, Steve, Patrick, Liz, Stevens, Terry, Jack, Nelwyn, Julie, Jamie, Stephen, Bill and Trina, Jessica, Ken, Alyssa, Sloan, and Jamie. I dedicate that 100,000th download to you. Till next time.